Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. This week we have The Pit and the Pendulum, an episode of Appointment with Fear, first broadcast September 18, 1943. The British series aired over BBC Radio from 1943 to 1955 and focused on adaptations of classic horror stories. This episode is based on the story of the same name by Edgar Allan Poe, who was born this week in 1809. While Poe was born before the pulps, we assume he would have been quite at home in their pages if he'd been born a century later. As it was, his stories were often reprinted in various pulp magazines, most notably Weird Tales. And if you like Poe, you should check out our latest new pulp release, Ghosts of the Jackal, in which Poe's work plays a significant role. You can find it at Amazon or other bookstores, or order directly from us at a discount, and that direct link is in the show notes. The Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast is a Brick Pickle Media production. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.brickpicklemedia.com. There you can find a link to all of our books in our entire online store. And just a reminder, if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And with that, on with the show. Appointment with Fear. This is your storyteller, the man in black. Here again to bring you another story in our series, Appointment with Fear. Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Pit and the Pendulum, adapted for broadcasting by John Dixon Carr. Sean Delbray. Captain Jean Delbray. Good fathers. Gentlemen. We hear you, my son. I have been confined for many months in a dungeon. I have been tormented by nightmares. Our conscience one trusts. Pray silence, Brian Tonio. Even now I have no knowledge of where I am or to whom I may be speaking. You are speaking to me, my son. I am Fra Pedro Despila, prior of the Dominicans of Segovia and Grand Inquisitor for all Spain. Is this the court of the Inquisition? It is. Then God help me. He will help you, my son, if you trust him. But I am a French officer. That is true. A soldier and creature of the arch-fiend Napoleon Bonaparte. But a French officer, nonetheless. A prisoner of war. By what right do you try me in this court? Let the clerk read the charges against this prisoner. Pray silence while the clerk reads the charges. The charges against the prisoner are as follows. Im primis that he is one Jean d'Albray, a captain of artillery in the army of Bonaparte, so-called emperor of the French. This means nothing. As the prisoner says, it is no crime. Proceed. Item that on the fourth day of September in the year of our Lord, 1808, the said Jean d'Albret did wed, espouse and marry that most noble lady, the Donna Beatrice Valdez, niece and ward of the illustrious... One moment. Your Excellency spoke. Brian Tonio, was any cheat employed to trap this girl into marriage against her will? No. We have no actual evidence of any cheat. Was the girl of age? I believe so. Then wherefore is the prisoner here? This marriage was a deplorable thing, if you like. Bonaparte himself is almost at the gates of Madrid. 
His general LaSalle menaces our city of Toledo itself. But lawful marriage, however regrettable, is no sin or crime. There are other matters in the indictment, I think. Then continue. But give us nothing that is not material. Item that on the 12th of October, 1808, the said Jean d'Albret, being in command of a five-gun battery of light artillery, did direct the fire of his guns against the Holy Church of St. Martha the Innocent. And thereby of his wicked malice destroyed the church utterly. Captain d'Albret, is this charge true? Yes, you admit it. Good father, hear what I have to say. The church blew up, I think. Would you boast of your sin, young man? It blew up because it was stored with kegs of gunpowder for your army. I had every right to fire on it. And that is all the defense you have to make. I tell you I had every right to fire on it. By military law. Is military law above God's law? I don't know. I did my duty. Long live the emperor. Captain Dalbray, hear the sentence of this court. Had your offense been any except this, the holy office would have been merciful. Mark what I say. No man, however great his heresy, is ever condemned to be burnt in the fire. The fire. The fire. The fire. If he first recant and acknowledge the error of his ways. But for you, Jean Delbray, there can be no mercy. No pity, no atonement. The only sentence of this court can be... Death. 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 The secular or government arm to which we must release you has devised two ways of punishment in cases such as yours. You hear the tolling of bells? I hear them. It is the procession of the condemned going to the author de la fe. Soon, the yellow light of the flames will stream through the windows and flicker on floor and ceiling. Most of those condemned out of mercy will be strangled before they are burned. It cannot be so with you, Jean d'Albret. You must die in one of two ways. Either with the direst of physical agony. A slow fire of green wood. Iced bandages about the head and heart. So that the fire does not approach too quickly. Be silent, Friar Antonio. I cry your pardon, Grand Inquisitor. Or else, Jean d'Albret, you must die in a certain other way. Have done with this. Pass your sentence and let me go. The law does not permit me to tell you now what. This other way is. It must approach you slowly and force itself into your mind. It must stalk you like a tiger. It must bring you face to face at last with the king of terrors. The sentence of this court, therefore... I had swooned, yet still I will not say that all of consciousness was lost. In the deepest slumber, no. In delirium, no. In a swoon, no. In death, no. 
Even in the grave, all is not lost. There are shadows of memory which tell me indistinctly of tall figures that lifted me and bore me in silence down, down, still down, until a hideous dizziness oppressed me like that descent into the earth. There was a vague horror at my heart because of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then this consciousness swam back to my wits again. Darkness. Stone floor. Darkness. Oh, Beatrice. Oh, my wife. Did you call me, Jean? Beatrice? Was that you who spoke? Yes, Jean. You? Here? In the dungeons of the Inquisition? I am not really speaking to you, my poor Jean. I am only in your imagination. Am I mad, then? No. But your brain is fevered. You only think you hear me. I hear you clearly. As clearly as I once heard you. In the little church near the Ebro. Where we were married. Yes. I destroyed that church, Beatrice. I had to. It was my commanding officer's order. I know, Jean. Be comforted. There are those who care. It is completely dark. There's hardly any air. I dread to get up. And I dread to stretch out my hand. <gasps> Suppose they have buried me alive. <laughs> Courage. Can you stand up? I think so. Then walk. Walk as far as you can. Measure the limit of the cell. If this is not a tomb. You're right, Beatrice. As always, I'll try. Are you on your feet? Yes. Now pray for a poor devil who always meant well. One pace. Two. Three. Four. You are very weak, Jean. Rest a moment. Where are you now, Beatrice? In the flesh, I mean. You know that, Jean. In the old house by the olive grove. Scorned of my people. Yes, I know it. Each morning I climb to the hilltop. And watch. Go on. Sometimes I think I hear Dunfield rumble in the hills. And long moving columns with the red dust rising about them. Go on. First come the heavy cavalry and plume-crested helmets. On their flanks, wheeling like hawks. Light hussars in blue and scarlet. And behind them, in a glitter of bayonets as vast as light points they'll see. Rank upon rank. The long grey coats and tall bearskin caps of... The old guard and the grand army. It is only a vision, my dear one. They do not come. Will they ever come, Beatrice? I cannot tell. Then I must face what has been prepared for me. Beatrice. Yes, John? I tried to walk. I took some steps. Four steps, yes. But in which direction? I can't remember. Are you facing in the same way? I don't know, perhaps. Then walk again. Try. Keep your hand in front of you. This robe impedes me, and the floor is treacherous with slime, but I'll try. Four paces. Five. 
Six. Seven. It can't be a tomb. Eight. Nine. Look out! I'm all right. I fell on my face. The robe tripped me. What is it? My hand is in front of me, lower than my face. But I feel nothing. Nothing, Jean? It's a pit. A circular pit. And I fell on the very edge of it. They would have made you walk into it. Yes. There's a loose fragment of rock just inside the edge. If only I can dislodge it. Listen. There's something down there. Rats, it may be. Rats, yes, but... something else. I heard it move. So did I. Accident saved me. They would have had me plunged there, symbolically, like the descent of the soul, to keep company with something else. And quick death forms no part of their plan. What is in the pit, John? I can't say. Did you say I was saved, Beatrice? Saved? From the Inquisition? My torture has been merely... postponed. A deep sleep fell upon me. A sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, I know not. But when I opened my eyes once again, I could see. Yes, see. My prison was large and lofty. Its walls formed of massive iron plates bolted or joined together. A wild, sulfurous luster, I could not trace its origin, lit up the dungeon and the circular pit. And the crudely daubed skeleton figures painted in evil colors on the iron walls. Skeleton figures, demon fillers, gargoyle figures. Their colors a little blurred, as from the effects of the damp. And I... I now lay on my back. And at full length, on a low framework of wood... To this framework, I was securely bound by a long fastening resembling a surgical bandage. Bound? But why? 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 Beatrice, look. Where? At the ceiling of the room, 30, 40 feet up. What do you see? I see painted on the ceiling... A figure of Father Time. Anything else? But Father Time carries no size. He carries instead what looks like a... a gigantic pendulum from an ancient clock. About one thing I swear I am in my right senses. I saw that pendulum move. A painting cannot move. Yet I swear the pendulum did. It swung a little back and forth. 
just like a real pendulum. Try not to trouble your brain. Father Time is not like those other paintings daubed on the walls, the imps and devils and skeletons. That pendulum is real. It's Beatrice, take care. Take care of what? You are not looking at the pendulum now. Take care of the rat. The rat on the pit. I see them. They're swarming out in dozens. You can see their eyes glitter. What are the rat across the hem of your dress? Did it, John? What do they want? They have caught the scent of the meat in the dish beside you. But they'll not get it. Cat, you vermin. Move your hand above the plate, John. Move. Beatrice, where are you going? I can hardly hear you. You are sending me away, John. I sending you away. My poor loved one. You can't bear to see the rats running about my feet, can you? Even when you know I'm not here. Beatrice! It is true, Jean. You are sending me. Yes, it's true. In a cell swarming with vermin, there are others I had rather see here. I had rather see. If you call me Captain Dalbray, then in spirit I am here. Who are you? Don't you recognize me? No. I am that second inquisitor, Fra and Tony, whom you fought unfair at your trial. But we were not unfair. We administer the law. That is all. Go. I command you. Go. Not until I have first told you what you already guessed. Which is? As the Grand Inquisitor said, there are two forms of death for such as you. One, death with its direst physical torture. The other, death with its direst mental torture. And I have been condemned to the second? Your guess is good. Listen. Do you hear anything? Yes. I hear something. Turn your eyes upwards. Look, see. The pendulum. Aye, the pendulum. It has descended. Only a foot or so as yet. As you notice, it is not really a pendulum. No? No. Its underside is a crescent formed of sharp, of razor-sharp steel. You mean? A ponderous weight, Captain Dalbray. Its movement is slow now, but soon it will take on momentum. It will swing wider and wider, 30 feet perhaps. Presently, as it swings, you will hear it hiss. And with each broad movement, it will creep a trifle lower. Steel is directly above me. Yes, above the region of your heart. Lie still and look up at it. How long before? You need have no immediate fear. It will not be too soon. But how soon? Who can tell? In the name of pity, give me some answer. Hours, perhaps days. Oh. Its motion can be arrested while you sleep. It's beginning to swing wider. I can't take my eyes from it. Its glitter fascinates you. See how it shines in that wild light. And this is your utmost refinement and cruelty. The law, Captain Talbot, is never cruel. And now, still in spirit, 
down it crept. Days passed. It might have been many days before it swept so closely as to fan me with its acrid breath. The odor of the sharp steel forced itself into my nostrils. To the right, to the left, far and wide. With the shriek of a damned spirit, to my heart, with the stealthy pace of a tiger. Down, certainly relentlessly down, I prayed. I wearied heaven with my prayer for its more speedy descent. I grew frantically mad and struggled to force myself up against that swinging, glittering death of no avail. Down, still unceasingly, still inevitably down, the sharp steel flashed past within three inches of my chest. And then, only then... I heard you calling, Jean. I am here. Here is a strange thing, Beatrice. I am quite calm. You are resigned, then? No. That is a strange thing, too. Even now, I am not resigned. Is there no way out? How can there be ten, twelve more vibrations, and it will fray the surge of my robe? Only lightly, as a razor in a delicate hand. There will be many sweeps before it bites deep. I can't escape it. And yet... And yet? Ah, if I could only use my wits. You kept me away from you, Jean. You locked me out of your thoughts. If I am here only in your thoughts, why should I fear the rat? The rat? You open your eyes and your eyes blaze. What is it? The rat! Do they still swarm here? Across the floor and over the meat platter. They have taken nearly all your food. Yes, yes, they are ravenous. And they have sharp teeth. Well? The meat is oily and spiced. If I take what remains of it, scatter you, vermin, and rub that meat on the bandages that hold me here. Try it, John. Try it. It may be too late if I move my body a fraction of an inch off. Try it, I tell you. Try it. Look, they scatter as soon as I do try. But they are watching you. I can see their eyes glitter. They are creeping back. Can I stand those rats crawling across me? Can the flesh bear it? One of them has leaped on the wooden framework. Another follows. They are gnawing at the bandage. Seven. Eight more streaks of the pendulum. Does the bandage give way? A little. Light still, light still. Ten. A dozen rats now. Is death, I wonder, worse than this disgust? A dozen sharp knives could do no better. The bandage could loosen to ribbons. If you move sideways, carefully, and drop to the floor. Beatrice, I can't move. My arms and legs are numb. There is no power. You feel afraid your robe a minute more will be too late. Try. Then, with all the strength that is in me, and the hatred I bear my enemies. Three. The second time. Three. Caesar, the pendulum stops. They are drawing it back up through the roof. <laughs> Each move I make is watched. 
You never doubted that. No. Yet with all they could do to you, they have failed twice. They will not fail a third time, my dear. There must be no more dallying with the King of Terror. What else can they do? I can't say. See how the rats gnaw in silence with the bandage. To what food, I wonder, have they been accustomed in the pit? To escape the pit? I escaped it once. Listen. What do you hear? Groaning. A grinding as of metal. It was only the cog wheels of the pendulum knife. I think not, Beatrice. Why not? It seemed to come from behind these iron-plated walls. It seemed to shake the dungeon as a mill wheel might shake it. it... Stand up, my poor Jean. Get up off your knees. I can't, Beatrice. I can't endure anymore. The paintings on the walls of this dungeon. <laughs> Skeletons and imps and devils. They seem different. They are different. The colors sharpen and grow bright. The demon eyes glare. The skeleton hands outstretched. Don't you catch even yet the odor of heated iron? Heated iron? I have been much humbled. I won't have you see me in tears. I order you to go. Go in the name of heaven. Yes, in the name of heaven, go. A suffocating heat pervaded the prison... A deeper glow settled in the painted eyes that glared at me. I could draw no breath of air into my lungs against the loom of that fiery destruction. The thought of the pit and its coolness came like balm. I staggered to the edge of the pit. I looked into it. The enkindled walls and roof lighted to it to its depth. Yet for one wild moment, even then, I refused to believe the meaning of what I saw. Does the pit please you, Captain Dalbray? You again? Do you find its contents pleasing? <laughs> Not the pit! Merciful God, anything but the pit! And how shall you avoid it? Look! The dungeon has changed its shape. That is true. The walls are closing in. It was formerly a square, and now it is flattening slowly towards the center to force me into the pit. Of course, it will force you along with me. Again, apparently you must be told, Captain Dalbray, that you are speaking only to your own sick fancy. I am not here at all. Farewell. And now, flatter and flatter through the red burning walls with a swiftness that left me no time for thought. I shrank back, with the closing walls pressed me resistlessly onward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer any inch of foothold. I tottered on the edge of the pit. <laughs> there was a discordant hum of human voices. 
There was a loud blast as of many trumpets. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell fainting into the abyss. It was that of General Lapal. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands of its enemies. (laughs) 